Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome along to the programme. I'm Justin Briley, host of The Profile this week, joined by Bruxy Cavey, a pastor with The Meeting House out in Toronto in Canada. We're going to be meeting him on the programme today as we talk about his life, faith and ministry. And if you want more interviews with Christians in all walks of life, then do check out the Profile podcast uh, available from the website premierchristianradio.com slash the profile. And also check out Premier Christianity magazine. Uh, the programme brought to you in association with that monthly title. I'm the senior editor and we've got all kinds of interesting interviews features uh, every month in the magazine. Free sample copy available if you go to premierchristianity.com slash free sample. Bruxy Cavey, welcome along to the program. Justin, this is such a privilege. It's great to have I, you. I am a long-time listener, and I'm very excited to finally be face-to-face with you. <laughs> I'm excited to be face-to-face with you because ever since we started just to get to know each other a little bit via yeah. social media and so on and, and emails, um, I've, I've been a great fan of what you do out in Canada yeah. and, um, and really blessed by your teaching. We're going to be talking about a new book you've written, uh, published this year, Reunion, The Good News of Jesus for Seekers, Saints and Sinners. But we always start this program really going back to your beginnings. Hmm. So um, Christian faith, has that always kind of been there for you? or you... Always been there, raised um, in a Christian home, but certainly went through a season of time in my young adult years where I had to t- toss everything up. Mm. My, uh, I, I think it just made sense to me that if I'm a Christian because I was raised a Christian, then I would be something else if I was raised something else. Mm. And so what are the odds my parents raised me right? <laughs> and so really I had to put Christianity at the bottom of the list and say it's I need to, it's, it's had enough of my time and attention. I need to spend a few years pouring myself into, and I tried on every other faith. I tried everything mm-hmm. from atheism to uh, to Hinduism to uh, Islam. I, I spent my university years very much kind of trying to be, I mean, really trying to step into everything other than Christian thought to try it on for size. I also have a, what I've learned psychologists call a reflective mind, which means I'm always questioning and always mm. doubting. Mm. And I thought that was because Christianity was not answering all my questions and created lots of doubts. And what I realized through this process is this is just me. <laughs> I carry questions with me everywhere. Yeah. So if I was an atheist, I would be a doubting atheist and <laughs> I would be a doubting Muslim. And, and here I am. I'm a questioning Christian. And eventually I realized that uh, Jesus is not threatened by my questions. He made room for doubting Thomas and for the questions of John the Baptist, and and that I can walk with Jesus with all of my skepticism and cynicism and questions, and just kind of kind of gather them up and and submit them to the life of faith with wow. Christ. Wow! And that having gone through that process and sort of finding yourself, you know, able to still say hmm. I'm a Christian, uh, there's room for my doubts, and my my skepticism yeah. within that. What 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 was the kind of process that led you to actually thinking about? beginning a church and and getting involved in leadership. Yes. Well, that's fascinating. My life is a series of plot twists. I never (laughs) wanted to be a pastor. I thought a pastor was was one of them, whatever them means. They were a special kind of holy human that I was never going to be. Who never have doubts. That's right. And they also have to wear suits or gowns (laughs) or something special. And and, You don't look like you've worn a suit in your life. No, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm an undercover pastor.
Thursday. Um, and there was a newspaper did an article on, on me in the meeting house uh, in Canada, and they, they referred to the pastor as that blonde, beefy bike, biker type. <laughs> so kind of this kind of fat hippie that uh, pastors this church. Um, so my, I have a friend who says I have the face of Jesus and the body of Buddha. So I've got <laughs> the multi-faith thing going on. both well. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. Sure. So I, um, <clears throat> I, my, my life's ambition was to be a DJ. Career-wise. Oh, right. Wow. Yes. I wanted to be an on-air DJ. I wanted to be involved in radio. Hey. We, yes. You, you, there's job, job openings here if you're still interested. <laughs> uh, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk after. Um, and uh, and so I still DJ uh, now uh, part-time just uh, do weddings and dances. I, I love dancing and helping people dance. So I was hoping to be an on-air DJ. And, and then um, it's funny when I DJ – weddings now sometimes i'll dj the same wedding i'm the pastor for so for all your matrimonial <laughs> needs it can be one-stop shopping right there and and so i i was in line to be a dj and i thought i have a lot of questions about my my own my just how my mind works i mm. couldn't get my mind to quiet to be at peace and so i i used education as therapy i got my ba in psychology really for the purpose of just getting answers to questions about how i work mm. and uh, and then after that, I had so many questions about my faith. I I got my master's in theology. Again, not to prepare me to be a pastor or to go into ministry, but just because I had so many questions about my faith. Yeah. And um, and after getting my master's in theology, I, I was just going to be a really educated DJ. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I, there was a church that was without a pastor. They had been without a pastor for a year, and they were rotating guest speakers. And they were at the point mm-hmm. of, I think, scraping the bottom of the barrel. And they were saying, <laughs> we'll take anyone who can come. And I sp- Even jobbing DJs <laughs> that's with right, a theology yes. degree. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I spoke there one Sunday and uh, thought, oh, that'd be fun. And then they asked me to come back another Sunday. Then they asked me to meet with their search committee, their pulpit search committee. And so I went to that meeting almost on a lark, thinking this will be a fun story to tell my grandchildren. <laughs> and, and I even had to borrow a sports jacket from a friend <laughs> to try and look respectable. And when I got there, I had a complete meltdown. I said, I'm not even wearing my own clothes. <laughs> I, I feel like an imposter. I, I'm only here just for fun. And, and they, they continued, this group of people continued to spend the evening with me, pouring into me a vision from my life that I never saw mm. and saying, Bruxy, you love God, you love Jesus and you love people and you love introducing them and we see you doing this and that's what a pastor can be. You don't have to be the suit and tied part of an establishment. You have to be a kind of a dating service that likes helping <laughs> people meet Jesus and 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 I, I yeah. they they really introduced me to my yeah. own future. Wow. So I, I think my life is a kind of a lesson for, to say to people. I always tell the youth when I'm talking to them, number one, be open to the plot twists. Mm. You never know how God's going to – because now all of my education and all of my questions have been redeemed in a yeah. sense that yeah. I love questions. I love thinking. And, and the meeting house <coughs> where you, you do minister now mm-hmm. in, in Canada, um, it's grown to be a fairly large church in terms of the, the, the main gatherings you have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a couple of thousand people. Yeah, we have – have about uh, five or six thousand people, wow. and we are multi-site, spread over a, a few different sites. Okay. But we primarily see ourselves as a house church community. We have uh, over a hundred home churches I see. that that gather together. So some churches would say we have a large church gathering on Sunday with an optional small group program. <laughs> We'd say we're a house church network with an optional Sunday morning okay, program. Right, and, and uh, for you that's important because yes, it is. obviously. 
you know, America is, is well known for the mega churches yes, that exist. Yes. I think maybe up to half of people who do attend church go to a mega church mm. in, a, in the USA. Mm. Maybe Canada, I guess, also has some manifestations. Yes. Our of, version of a mega church is smaller. But yeah, yes. but, but the, yeah. it exists. Um, yeah. But of course, there are those who say, oh, do you really get the community you need yes, and everything yes. else from a, from a mega church? So, so the home church model it, with the optional mega church yeah, that's right. kind, of, kind of for you yes. answers that? That is central for us. That's where we do family together and their pastoral care. We do baptism, communion, everything that you would see as the marks of a first century church in scripture, we do in home church. Right. So if our Sunday services disappeared, we would still feel like we're a fully functioning New Testament that's church. Interesting. Yeah. And it allows Sunday to be a place for a little more celebration a little more singing, mm. a little extra teaching. Yeah. But if people don't show up Sunday and are some people just listen to the podcast teaching and then they come to home church because the Bible mm. study in home church is tied in with the yeah. Sunday teaching. And, and the podcast, again, has become an interesting way in which the church is reaching mm-hmm. beyond its local boundaries. Yes. I, know, I, I listen to it. Other, mm. I know other people who do. In fact, yeah. you were just recently in Scotland at the yes. Refuel event in the summer. Oh, wonderful. And, yes. and, and that emerged because of another church that started using the materials you use in, yes. in your home group. Yes, we're getting yeah. emails and Scotland was one example of of house churches, home groups and and church Bible studies that are using our materials online because we put everything online so the sermon uh, comes with study notes and questions that lead into a Bible study that can happen midweek. And I, you, you know, once you put something online, you never know where it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Scotland was an example of, uh, of a, a home group there up in northern Scotland, Lossiemouth in the Highlands and Islands area of Scotland, who have been tracking with our teaching for Amazing. some time. Yeah. Yeah. And what would you say is the particular kind of focus of the kind of teaching, the kind of way you present Jesus to the people around you hmm. that you've you've tried to have through the meeting house in your own ministry? Sure. Well, it does seem like different churches, even though every church feels like we're balanced and we're giving a proper approach to Christianity, I I use the Trinity sometimes to help people understand just the different emphasis and tone that, that Christians can have, to say some churches emphasize God the Father in his sovereignty and his His lordship and his leadership of, of this family of faith. And other churches emphasize the Holy Spirit as the fresh mm. wind and experience of God. And we tend to emphasize Jesus, which for us seems normative, but mm. uh, we understand we'll have visitors come from other churches and they'll say, you guys at the meeting house really talk a lot about Jesus. <laughs> and we'll say, well, we're Christians. Who did you expect us to talk about? But we do come from an Anabaptist background. Okay. So Just to explain what that is for sure. those who aren't familiar. Well, during the Protestant Reformation, it was really the students of the Protestants, the 20-something young adult students of the Protestant Reformers like Luther and Zwingli, who who said to the Protestant Reformers, you're not reforming far enough. Mm. And so the Anabaptists were known as the Radical Reformation. They were the ones who really championed the idea that faith should be a matter of personal choice. And Mm. so they... They, rather than just uh, uh, um, the product of where you're born. If you're right. born in in um, Germany, you're Lutheran, and if you're born in France, you're Catholic. So they said, no, faith should be a personal choice. So believer's baptism was the theological was the result idea. of that. Yeah, yes. sure. And then they, they also centralized the teaching of Jesus. They noticed that both Protestants and Catholics, while they were reforming many, well, Protestants were reforming their theology, they were still going to war to advance their theology mm-hmm. and to fight against mm-hmm. the Catholics and killing heretics. Mm-hmm. And and so as they focused on Jesus, they saw that nonviolence, a life of peace, not just the ideal of obtaining mm, peace mm. by any means necessary, a la Malcolm X, mm. but a, a life of peace is the way you live, more in line with, say, Martin Luther King Jr., was, was what 
was what was very central to the ethics yeah. of Jesus. Yeah. So, so and that's, that's been a strong kind of theme in, mm-hmm. in Anabaptist theology and yes. so on, is, is peacemaking, yes. um, pacifism, yes. and so on. Yes. Um, and in a sense, to some extent, at odds, at least with your neighbors uh, over the, the border, <laughs> in terms of, I think, it, it, arguably, that in a lot of churches mm-hmm. in the States, not by no means all, but that there, there, there is a something of a sort of sense of nationalism, mm-hmm. patriotism, a kind mm-hmm. of a... And, and maybe, you know, quite a lot of support for, um, you know, our right to go and, you know, impose our will on other countries and so on. Mm-hmm. This is a generation, even just a season of of kind of, in some sense, mild shock and maybe a wake-up call for the yeah. church to say that there is a, a greater number of people, perhaps than we realized, who are intertwining the kingdom of Christ with whatever their earthly kingdom is, whatever their nation is. Mm-hmm and um, are practicing a kind of dual citizenship that, that can make it confusing and messy, whereas the Apostle Paul teaches that our attitude toward our earthly nation should be one of an ambassador from a different kingdom. Mm. So we are uh, all here, whether it's in England or it's in Canada or United States, we are we are, even if we've grown up, my passport says I'm Canadian, but I see myself as an ambassador to Canada. Yeah. And so that means I have to get to know the policies of my of the, the kingdom I represent and yeah. feel as though I am fully representing and embodying that to Canada. And that gives me a completely different relationship with my nation. Yeah. I, I know that um, another name that people may be familiar with who I think you're on a very similar page with is, mm. is Greg Boyd, who, mm-hmm. yes, who yes. Um, is obviously a pastor yes. uh, in, in the U.S. in Minnesota. Um, yes. And many people influenced through through what his, he does through Woodland Hills Church mm, and yes. Renew and so on. And I know you guys are friends mm-hmm. and you preach at each other's churches. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that Greg himself has very much been influenced by the Anabaptist tradition and so on. And, yes. and, and so do you see like this as part of a, a wider movement among kind of, I don't know, the evangelical church kind of reclaiming, uh, you know, these kinds of ideals and principles. Yes, and not to in any way uh, say any other church tradition is inadequate, but I Mm. do think that the Anabaptist ideals of putting Jesus in the center and then doing all of your theology and all of your ethics radiating out from that centerpiece, I think that is an underrepresented aspect of church history, church tradition, and theology. Anabaptists historically were persecuted for uh, so many generations that we never established our own seminaries. We don't have our own publishing houses. We Mm. don't write large theological tomes. Mm. Uh, So we're underrepresented. And so it's wonderful to see kind of a new generation uh, who don't have an Anabaptist background saying, hey, there is this movement within Mm. Christianity Mm. that's kind of Christocentric from the start. Our theology and our ethics are growing out from there. And whether someone converts to being a full-fledged Anabaptist, I think that understanding Anabaptist theology is going to enrich anyone's Christian faith. We're going to talk about your book in a moment, but mm-hmm. um, you're over here, uh, as we record, in the UK with your wife and child. Yes. Um, there's an interesting story about how uh, <laughs> how you got married to Nina. Yes. Um, you've been married uh, 16, 17 years now. Yes, yes. Um, tell, tell us about, about, about that. Sure. Nina and I were friends for many years and then dating for many years, and I had gone through some real personal relational hurt before I got to know Nina. And... Um, and so I was very slow on the draw as far as proposing, even if we had been dating for some time. I was the, I was the um, failure to commit kind of guy. <laughs> In fact, I, I thought I was so afraid of marriage. I thought, listen, it's not that I want to keep my options open. I want to be with you, Nina, for the rest of my life. Let's just grow old together and and get rooms beside each other in the same retirement home at the end of our life and hold hands in our rocking chair. But marriage was so frightening. Nina to wasn't me. quite so keen on that whole <laughs> no, whole future right. plan yes. for you both. Yes, that's right. I just wanted a buddy or a chum for 
life. And, and she said, no, we can do better. So she knew my heart was I wanted to get married, but I, I was really um, uh, uh, held back by fears. Yeah. And and so she took the initiative to propose in a, an amazing way. Um, at the meeting house, we end most of our Sunday sermons with a Q&A time. Mm. And so she had a Q and was hoping I would have the right A. <laughs> and so during Q&A, and it's funny, I was preaching on the book of Revelation. We were just finishing the series, and we were talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, right. And I was preaching to people saying, Jesus is proposing to you. And some of you are held back by hurt and disappointment, and, <laughs> and you need to have the courage to say yes to the call of Christ. And so, What a perfect. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. What a perfect intro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she stood up during Q&A and she said, well, Bruxy, in light of these things you've mentioned in your sermon, my question for you is, Bruxy Cavey, will you marry me? And oh, wow. I it bet was, the whole house came down. The house came point. down. She had actually planted balloons up in the rafter oh, wow. that I was not aware of. <laughs> Hundreds of balloons. She had people from our house church, from our home church, stand up with signs saying, like, just do it and say yes and oh, wow. make an honest woman out of her. And <laughs> if you don't, I will. <laughs> I never liked that guy. And, and even John 3.16, just because. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I just started uh, crying. And I came down off the uh, platform and I hugged her and I was just bawling. And I realized that it felt like years of therapy became unnecessary. There was wow. this healing mm. in her – the initiating love and that it was public initiating was risky but that the fact that she initiated and that it was public and that it was risky all was part of the healing process it almost happened Mm. instantly Mm. and that has sat with me I talk about it in the book. It really sits with me to this day as an experiential example of what God's love has done spiritually, yeah, that yeah. public initiating risky love that we see through Jesus. Amazing, amazing. Mm. It's such a great story, though. <laughs> um, um, let's talk about the book, mm-hmm. Reunion. It's called, um, the subtitle is The Good News of Jesus for Seekers, Saints, and Sinners. Mm. Um, and I, I think in many ways your ministry is to people who maybe are a little bit wary of church mm-hmm. and institutional religion we live in a society now where increasingly people are describing themselves as spiritual but not religious yes um and i guess you meet a lot of those in your what you do yes the motto of the meeting house is the meeting house a church for people who aren't into church right and we have found within our culture anyway that's many many people yeah um so it kind of says it on the title really but this book is evidently for people who would consider themselves christians people who definitely wouldn't consider themselves christians Mm -hmm. and people who I guess maybe don't know if they want to be a yes, Christian yeah. or not. You know, there are um, some lots and lots of good Christian books on there written out there written to Christians on how to evangelize your non-Christian friends. Mm. But there are many, much fewer books that are written to non-Christians about yes. the gospel. Mm. And, I mean, Greg Boyd has Letters from a Skeptic and, and Timothy Keller has written uh, some great ones that books that you can read as a Christian and then pass on to your non-Christian yeah, friends. Yeah. Say, let's walk through this yeah, together yeah, yeah. and turn it into a conversation. And so as a church, we've just were looking for good books that we could use to pass out. And then finally, the shortage of books meant I've got to write write one. (laughs) (laughs) And so really wanted to find an overview of the gospel that just is Christ-centered and gives the non-Christian and the Christian a a talking point together Mm. to really say, 
who was Jesus? What did he stand for? What was his mission and his message? And and what would my life look like if yeah. I was to respond to that? Yeah, that's really interesting. And and so in a sense, you're you're taking you know what a lot of people assume they know, which is the gospel. Yes, why Jesus came, what he did, mm-hmm. um, how we receive salvation, and so on. Mm-hmm. And what what are you saying? Are, are you saying we need to re-understand this, rethink this? Uh, re- how, yes, I would say package it in some way. I would say expand our understanding of the gospel. Mm. So I'm not saying we have been wrong up till now and I'm inventing something new. That would be a danger sign (laughs) right there. Uh, But if you notice that in the 1950s, uh, the four spiritual laws became very popular, at least uh, Mm -hmm. in North American Christianity. Mm. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Sin has separated you from God. Jesus is the key. Faith is how you receive the gift. Those four markers were repeated in different tracks or presentations by different organizations. The bridge to life, Mm. the uh, steps to peace with God. These are all different presentations, and they're all four points, and they're basically the same four points. Mm. And more recently, even within uh, some Christianity and reform circles, they've pointed out that the first four chapters of Romans do cover that theme, kind of God's holiness and our fall. Chapter three, Jesus is the key. Chapter four, faith Mm. is how you respond. Mm. And, and uh, And so these are very true and very important. I'm I'm just suggesting, and this would be typically Anabaptist, that that doesn't go far enough and right. that our, our yeah. Protestant evangelical understanding of the gospel needs to reform even further to include aspects of the kingdom here yeah. and now that we can belong to and be a part of. And also, I would add the irreligious uh, implications of the gospel, that that the new covenant means the end of the old mm. and that there was a seismic shift and upheaval in the yeah. coming of the new covenant mm. that is good news. We're freed up from the letter of the law into the way of the spirit. And uh, and so this, I think, is part of the, yeah. the good news that we should be aware of. When it comes to the seekers and the skeptics yes. and the, the saints and the sinners, when you do meet the people who are maybe turned off to religion mm-hmm. because they think this is what Christianity is from mm. what the picture I've been given, mm-hmm. you know, maybe mm-hmm. growing up or mm-hmm. whatever. What's, what, 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 are, what are some of those common questions, I suppose, or assumptions that you meet? And, mm. and how do you try to encourage people to think a bit differently? So often, from a non-Christian's point of view, the downside of the Christian religion, whether it's been their own experience of it being just irrelevant as a child, or Mm. whether they think back through Christian history and say, you guys are just as violent and just as torture-oriented as anyone else, and and so what actual difference do you make? I think that for many people, that skepticism, an honest and I think accurate skepticism, it's fair, it's fair game, uh, something they bring to the table. And, And I want us, and I teach this at the Meeting House, to be the first to lead in repentance. Uh, uh, the Meeting House, I talk about it being repentant evangelism, that that we should be the first to mention our failings, not wait until mm. the person we're talking yeah, to, yeah. to say, this is how we have got the gospel wrong. But when you see that, that's an example of even the church that bears the name of Jesus not following Jesus. Mm. That's not the mm. fruit of following Jesus. And so that means the gospel or the teachings of Jesus, the message of Jesus is as much for, for the Christian church as it is for the non-Christian. And that means I'm not coming to my non-Christian friend saying, I have the truth, you live in error, I dwell in the light, you dwell in darkness, I will now teach you. It's mm-hmm. to come alongside and say, I'm relearning mm. the the message of my own Savior, yeah. and I'd love for you to join me and let's do mm. this together. Yeah. What kind of responses have you been getting to the book? Fantastic. So far? Yeah. Yes, fantastic. Uh, from both Christian and non Christian. The book's written to non Christians so that a Christian could also eavesdrop. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but the first wave, of course, of Christians who have bought the book have said this is kind of re 
rejuvenated my appreciation for sure. yeah. uh, for Jesus and for the gospel. And now I'm excited to be able to share it with my non-Christian yeah. friends. So. Yeah. I, if I dare to mention my book in the same context, mm-hmm. the, the I, I really appreciate you. You very kindly um, sent me an advanced copy and, and I gave an endorsement for, mm-hmm. for yours. Thank Rexy. you. But the... Um, it's it, it feels like sort of two halves of the, mm-hmm. the same thing. Really, yes. my the, my recent book is is um, about kind of putting the idea of God out there, you know, yeah. as, as a credible option for as an yes. intellectual option, if you know what I mean, and, and for Christianity. But I think this is kind of like then taking it the next stage of saying, does this story make sense? Does mm-hmm. can 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 you apply the, the you know this two thousand year old event yes. of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection to? to your life today and I, and I think you've done an amazing it's job it's a wonderful actually. partnership well if you look at the subtitle of Seekers, Saints and Sinners yeah. there was a fourth category we toyed with of skeptics okay. and said I think that would be too much to try maybe, and maybe. also add yeah, in yeah. let's just talk to those who are at least interested enough sure. and so really you're addressing that fourth category of yeah. the skeptic and, yeah. and it feels like it's a holistic one-two punch <laughs> you know? hey we, we should put them both out together you know but, <laughs> yes, but two yeah. for the price of one yes, right. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yeah. um, as I say wonderful book and, and I think as well what shines through is that you're a normal guy. Mm. In fact, you're quite a quirky guy, if we were <laughs> honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're not that normal, actually. But, but, the, but then none of us are when you right. do dig below the surface, right, are we? True. And, and in a way, um, you're very open uh, and frank about your own mm-hmm. failings and mm-hmm. you, you know, your hang-ups. And, and yeah. the, but, the, but I think that helps people. I think mm-hmm. one of the problems, as you say, is that people just like you did, see pastors on some kind of pedestal and mm-hmm. oh, I can never be that kind mm-hmm. of a person but maybe we just need to be a bit more honest about who we are if there is any community on the planet that should be the community of honesty and authenticity that should feel like a come as you are party mm. it should be the group of people who follow Jesus and unfortunately we've often been known as the opposite we're mm. the place I have to make sure I buy new clothes and put on a, a, a false face and pretend and then I can finally fit in yeah. and it would say no we we need to repent if we've given that impression. And as a pastor now, I'm in a position, because of corporate solidarity, I, I'm in a position to repent on behalf of fellow pastors, yeah, which I never yeah, thought I'd be in to yeah. say, we, representing the establishment, are sorry yeah. that we have given you a false impression and, and you are welcome just as you are. You may not stay that way. You may be changed, but it'll be a change from the inside out, not cleaning out your externals, but mm. cleaning up from the outside in. But from the inside out, be open to change, but definitely come as you are. Great. Well, look, thank you again for the book. Uh, Again, Reunion, The Good News of Jesus for Seekers, Saints and Sinners. It's uh, from Herald Press. Bruxy Covey is the author. And uh, you can find it uh, online. And uh, don't forget uh, to check out The Meeting House as well. You might want to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, And all the very best as you travel back to Canada. Thank you, Justin. This has been a privilege. It's been so, so much fun uh, getting to sit down and talk with you. Um, If you want to uh, listen again to today's interview, can I encourage you to go to the website and tell your friends about it, too. We're also a podcast if you want to look us up on iTunes or whatever software you use for your podcasts. The profile is what you're looking for. PremierChristianRadio.com slash the profile. And don't forget, you can also ask for a free sample copy of Premier Christianity magazine. Go to our website for that. PremierChristianity.com slash the profile. Bruxy, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Justin. Still to come on The Profile today in the second half of the show, Sam Hales talks to Paul Wilbur, worship leader in the Messianic Jewish movement. We're on air with broadcasting legend Jeremy Vine in the latest Premier Christianity magazine as he tells us how he lost his faith and then found it again and life behind the mic on his radio and TV programmes. 
Plus, we profile three of the UK's fastest-growing churches as they share their secrets on why their congregations are multiplying members. And as 2018 begins, read about five spiritual practices that could renew your relationship with God in the new year. All that plus news, reviews and your favourite columnists. Ask for a free copy of the January edition, premierchristianity.com slash free sample. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. My name is Sam Hales. This is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian and ask them about their life and their faith. And in this case, their music. I'm delighted to say my guest on the show today is Paul Wilbur, the well-known messianic worship leader. Before we get into the interview, I thought, let's have a listen to some of his music. Here it is. Welcome to the programme. It's great to have you with us. You're well known as one of the leading worship leaders in the Messianic Christian music movement. I wonder if you want to start by telling me a little bit about how you got into that world of music and some of how you became a Christian as well. What brings you to where you are today? Well, I've, I feel like I got um, shanghaied um, because music was really my my whole career and uh, and passion and um, I did an undergraduate degree in Cleveland I actually started my dad handing me a Sears and Roebuck guitar when I was nine years old and gave me a, uh, a, a music lesson uh, music was was the whole passion of my life did an undergraduate degree in Cleveland to be an opera singer and um, and a cantor I attended a synagogue there in Cleveland for several years. And while I was off doing a master's degree, um, I chased a, a young girl to church. She invited me to church, and she was attractive enough that I didn't really care where I was going. Um, I just followed wherever she went. And I ran into the presence of God that I had never experienced before, um, got me very interested in what it was that was changing the atmosphere in that church service. I started attending, uh, met a young man who eventually led me to the Lord a couple weeks later on a fishing trip. But So I said I got Shanghai'd. I was, I was interested in music, but as a 27-year-old, I was also interested in, in girls and the combination of the two got me in touch with the presence of God that convinced me that not only is there a God, but uh, he's the God of the Bible 
the more I learned, then I realized that Jesus is our Messiah. Uh, I'm, I'm a Jewish guy. My, my dad uh, was Jewish. My, my mother wasn't, which she apologized for her entire life. But um, so I come into this, I guess, um, in, a, in a more natural way. This isn't something that, that came to me just because of theology or doctrine but it's actually in my blood yeah for someone who isn't really hasn't come across messianic music before but perhaps someone who hasn't heard your music how do you describe it to people um i'm thinking particularly those who may not even be a be a christian may not have any knowledge of jewish culture or the jewish world how do you sum up your music well it has uh, it's a it's a different sound we we like to major a lot of the the lyrics are taken from the prophets and from the Psalms, um, obviously through the lens of New Testament, of New Covenant, and uh, and the life of Yeshua, of Jesus. But the, the sound is um, a little different, m- more minor keys. Uh, sometimes we use Middle Eastern modal music, authentic instruments. You know, the Bible is centered in the Middle East, of course, and whenever you get directions in your Bible, north, south, east, and west, you you can't figure it from where you are. You have to figure where the person is actually speaking from, which is usually uh, the nation of Israel. So using Jerusalem as your stepping off point, um, it's, a, it's a different culture. It's a different part of the world. Uh, that's why some people have written books about the difficult sayings of Jesus. Uh, not so difficult if you have a Middle Eastern mindset, but a Western European mindset finds some of these things rather difficult or different. So the, the music has a, a bit of a Middle Eastern sound, um, but not so strange to the Western ear it's really a difficult thing. You have to hear it. Once you hear it, you know that's messianic. You mentioned that Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, do you think there is still a bit of a divide in the church between those two groups? Unfortunately, uh, it's true. And uh, some of it has to do with this doctrine that's been embraced by a large part of the church over the last 1800 years called replacement theology that uh, when God said forever speaking to the Jewish people and the covenants that he made it was kind of a wink wink or um, actually the theology says that the church has replaced Israel the promises that God made to Israel the church says we're the new Israel of course the Muslims say we're the new Israel and a lot of other groups have displaced Israel and their own doctrines and thinking as well. Everybody wants to be the, the promised people until until the Holocaust comes along. Um, so, yes, because of doctrine and some bad teaching, uh, there are still these divides, misunderstanding of what it is that God said to Israel, what the covenants include, but um, in these days, I'm very excited to see that there is a very passionate, uh, very knowledgeable um, group, Christian Zionists.